0: In this episode, we're talking about how you can drop the nerves and win an auction 100% of the time for you, your buyers, and your sellers. If you're wondering if auctions work in your marketplace, or perhaps you're wanting to level up and create more FOMO in amongst your buyers, in this episode, we're gonna talk about and answer those questions. Today, I'm interviewing two amazing auctioneers Thomas McGlynn, who's the director of sales and the chief auctioneer for the agency, and Justin Nickerson, who is the CEO and head auctioneer for Apollo Auctions. Hello, and welcome to episode two of the Build Your Best Life video podcast series. I'm your host, Sherry Storer. I'm a sales coach and hardworking real estate agent. Now, it's my mantra to build your best life, and I'm doing exactly this. And throughout this podcast series, you'll learn how you can grow your GCI, your revenue and your profit by implementing proven sales systems and structures. You'll also learn how you can grow and build your own EBU team and agencies and how you can truly harness the power of your real estate career to provide the wealth and the freedom that you've always dreamt of. So if this is the life that you want to live, I suggest that you subscribe to this podcast series so that you're notified every Tuesday when the episodes go live. Now, in addition to working exclusively with agents and agencies all around the country, I also have my Build Your Best Life coaching program. Now, this runs on a quarterly basis and it's supported by webinars and live question time. It also comes with a success manual that works with quarterly, monthly, weekly, and daily sales systems and structures but also templates. And I'm here to tell you that it is going to revolutionize your career. It's a system that I've been working since 2012 and my agents have been using since 2017. But quarter two is available, so you can head to my website and sign up now. But look, if you wanna get a look and a fee for what those templates are, I'm actually giving away a freebie as part of this podcast series. So essentially what I'm giving out is a system or a structure in how you can actually map out your quarter, quarterly goals. So it's an Excel spreadsheet where once you've determined how much GCI you want to write, this program will automatically personalize and calculate how many properties you need to list, how many properties you need to sell, and how many listing presentations you need to do. And it's different for everyone. So I really will calculate it for you and it does all the hard work for you. So look, if you love a freebie, and let's face it, we all do, head to my website, sherrystora.com forward slash level up to download your copy and you can start goal setting today. So, look, this podcast series simply wouldn't be possible without the support of my amazing sponsor, List Ready. If you haven't heard of them yet, go and check out their website, list-ready.com.au. And they were totally on board when I was telling them all about this vision that I have for providing exceptional content to real estate agents all around Australasia. So, massive thank you for their support. So, let's get down to business and into today's episode. And we are lucky enough today to have two massive heavy hitters when when it comes to auctions with us we've got thomas mcglynn and justin nickerson now thomas is the director of sales and the chief auctioneer with the agency he's armed with over 15 years of experience and he's conducted over 4,000 auctions he's super hands-on when it comes to sales general management and auctioneering and thomas lives in point piper with his brand new fiance angie Let me tell you a little bit about Justin. Now, Justin is the CEO and he's the head auctioneer of Apollo Auctions. He is a four-time winner of the REIQ Auctioneer of the Year Award. In fact, he's the only auctioneer to have ever done so in this state. He's also the winner of the inaugural Australasian Auctioneering Championship, which happened at ARIC in 2018, and he works for some of Australia's leading real estate businesses. He lives in Brisbane with his wife, Catherine, and his two dogs, Oscar and Bailey. Justin and Thomas, please welcome to the episode. Thank you so much for joining us in the podcast. You guys are actually my first official interview. So, thank you so much for coming and being a part of it. And we were just actually outside, we're here in Lucent today um, in Newstead, and we were just really giving props to how cool the rooftop is upstairs, That's right?
1: Amazing. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, virtual golf tours. And Justin stuff. and I
1: just had a hit out in the virtual <laughs> driving
0: range, which was good. So, look, given, I guess, that this is the first interview of the series, if you like sort of what you're seeing, you know, as an audience, feel free to take a photograph and to take it on social media. But I guess, like, getting into it, Thomas, you and I have known each other for quite some time. In fact, we were just joking that you're actually my boss at McGrath, which is no real easy task. <laughs> but, um, but you and I have a really, uh, I guess, quite a close relationship. And you're one of the, the very few that actually um, were, was positive about me moving out to my coaching business. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's really hard in this industry because so many people have their own personal agendas for you. You were one of the one of the only ones actually to say, look, Sherry, you'll be great at this. Go and follow your dreams. Go out and do it. So, you know, I will be forever thankful to you for actually, you know, no, giving me was, the little push and the encouragement. That and I I'm so happy that.
1: I was actually saying with someone this morning, you know, I was so happy to see you living the life that you want to live. And I think that's a really good thing for the people that listen to the podcast but also that, that experience the coaching with you is that you've actually really... You've done what a lot of people want to do, which is how do they shift their life into a more positive direction. That's not easy to do, so.
0: No, well, it certainly hasn't been without its challenges and, you know, there's a lot of learning in there. But um, thank you so much for saying that. But I also really loved working with you because you were my auctioneer. So, you know, we would go out there and we would sort of slay them on on Saturdays and try and get them knocked under the hammer, which is certainly not an easy thing to do, you know, in, Br- in the Brisbane yeah. marketplace. And, and then-
1: at the time it was it a... Was, uh, yeah, you know, a market that was slightly subdued as well. Mm. So yeah.
0: Whereas Justin, you're actually my auctioneer now. So when I do sell properties here here in Brisbane, Justin.
1: <laughs> so so i Thomas, Give up Thomas two point zero. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. Put it in for the update and <laughs> this is what
0: came. So, yeah. so I mean, we were talking about this before, but you have actually been the auctioneer of the year, you know, three times in a row for all of Australasia, which is absolutely massive. And I remember what, three years ago, um, when we we're all in Adelaide and you took out the the you know the big award and you for um for for winning you know the auctioneer of the year and they gave you this huge massive trophy do you remember it was ginormous and um, we we're up at some rooftop bar do you remember what the name of the bar was? uh I don't. So
1: the, the whole thing's a bit of a blur to me. won <laughs> three of them now, so we've been a number of. Different <laughs> bars, but, can't to to
0: the but I just remember you know being up at the bar and everyone was sort of drinking out of the out of the trophy. It was a really cool cool award, but it was really interesting. For, me to kind of see um, into the the behind the scenes part which as an agent I didn't really understand this whole competition sort of side of of auction so I found that that was really quite quite interesting but I think you know today in our podcast I really want to get into I guess the art of the auction and I want to talk a lot about you know what it is that we can really do to step up because in an industry where, we're all operating in completely different marketplaces. Sometimes auctions work and sometimes they don't. And, I mean, Thomas, you're working in a marketplace where auction is kind of like almost the go-to strategy, right?
1: In Sydney, yeah. yeah. Equally, I spent a lot of time in Perth where it's 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 literally the furthest thing from a lot of agents' minds mm. because of the market being similar to how Brisbane was three or four years ago. So yeah. it's interesting, mm. the auction process in terms of how people use it.
0: So I think it's it's quite unique to have you both here because, Justin, you're typically operating in this marketplace and you've got auctioneers here in Australia but also over in New, in New Zealand, which is also quite fast-paced too. So it's kind of good to talk with both of you because we've got an angle on two different kind of markets. But, look, let's kind of hit the rewind button a little bit because you two are great mates, right? Yeah. So just, you know... Well, I
1: think we're great mates.
0: <laughs> so just, you know, let us in to behind the scenes. Like, how do you guys actually know each other?
1: Uh, so
2: we... When I first, or when we both first started as an auctioneer, um, with a guy called Jason Andrew, he ran a training coaching um, course, and it was kind of a thinly veiled recruitment course. But uh, it was designed <laughs> to give you the the tools of, of becoming an auctioneer. And there was about a dozen or sixteen dozen, yeah. in the in the course. And Thomas and I in the course together. And we weren't particularly good friends um, through that course. I think. Uh, you know, you sort of find the people that you know or you've got some sort of relationship and there the people you sort of stick around. But then out at the end of that course, uh, Jason um, approached Thomas and I to join him as part of his team. And um, it was sort of even then we weren't probably that close. But then in the early days when we were probably facing similar struggles, um, I used to stay at Tom's house on the Sunshine Coast a lot and we had some, um, some late-night PlayStation <laughs> battles on tennis, uh, Rafael Nadal <laughs> versus Federer, and that's kind of where friendship sort of gets born I think and then as you grow together in the industry having someone along with you for the ride and someone I think um, you said before there's always someone or people have different agendas for Mm -hmm. you being able to call someone who understands the industry who doesn't have an agenda other than they want the best for you is pretty rare and I think Mm -hmm. that's probably where um, or for me anyway the friendship has been so great because he is that person we talk Every Saturday, um, generally without fail between auctions and then and probably most days or every couple of days we chat as well.
0: Yeah, awesome. So when was this? When were you sort of doing your course? Two thousand and
1: nine, I okay. Th- think.
0: Okay, think it clock, was.
1: Maybe time. the back end of two thousand and eight, start of two thousand and nine. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It seems like a like it seems like a long time ago now, it is even now. though <laughs> it's not we were only fifteen at the time. <laughs>
2: the
1: um um, we get, we actually get a lot of people think we're brothers everywhere, which is hilarious. Not even um, that;
2: people think we're the same person. So sometimes, people all the think time, really? someone sometimes will come people, to me and say, "How's yeah. how's the There's things been in times Sydney?" Yeah, good. People
1: have congratulated me on winning, awards, and I <laughs> actually just at the time I was said, "Thank you very much." <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it started at that particular point, and um, that was a really good that was a really good time of our lives. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think at that, that particular point, it was the middle of the GFC. Mm. We were both agents, we'd been, we'd been quite successful as agents and then the global financial crisis sort of occurred and, you know, a lot of people, I think, had to take a little bit of a, a look inside and see what they actually wanted to do. And at the time, probably we didn't have the, um, maybe the empathy needed to be able to educate owners in the way that you had to at that particular time. <laughs> what was funny, though, is you become an auctioneer and you're the one that has to have those That's hard right. conversations. <laughs> so it was kind of like out of the frying pan into the fire, but... Um, I think that was a really good time of our life. We learned a lot in that particular time. Yeah. We worked extremely hard. Um, Has that and, changed? Uh, no, I, guys sp- I, hard think I think you never have to stop working. How doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where you get to. But I, I think at that particular point too, you get to you get to test out a lot of the skills that you want to be able to to, to, to use mm. and so forth. And it was a really good time. I
2: always think the kind of I think when you're ascending or when you're starting to build a career or or building anything, that's generally the most exciting time. Like Mm. it's like if you're learning a new skill. Um, one of the things I'm doing at the moment, which is quite funny, is I'm learning, well, I'm not even learning, I'm failing at hot yoga. (laughs) And I reckon this is the most exciting part when you're really bad at it, but you can actually see that you're getting better (laughs) slowly but surely. Um, and I think that's that time of our life was such an exciting time because um, you know, we were learning new skills. We were creating new relationships. Uh, we had a couple of overseas holidays together. Like it was just that period in your life when there's just kind yeah. of everything's possible. You know, yeah. there's so many possibilities that are aligned. And in the end, really, we've sort of gone on different paths to a certain extent. But um, we both have a similar foundation, I think, which is cool.
1: Yeah. Well,
0: I think it is really interesting looking at the paths that you've taken in your in your career because obviously, you know, with Apollo Auctions, you what now have seven auctioneers in Australia and two over in New Zealand. and yeah you chose to obviously open your own business. And Thomas, you know, you've obviously taken very much a lead management position, you know, and you're now considered to be one of the, the greatest thought leaders in Australian real estate. I know I tell everyone who says that, and I know you'd hate hearing that, you but it's very true. You started <laughs> He loves it. But, I mean, you know, t- tell us a little bit about why you chose this journey. I mean, why did you choose to go down this, this route of, of management? Um,
1: I don't necessarily think that it was like at first it wasn't something that I decided this is what I'm going to do and I mean Justin and I had very probably very similar goals at at the start of our auctioneering careers and that was to you know win the REIQ award you know win the Australasians and the thing that Justin and I did we were at every single competition we'd go to New Zealand together and watch their competition and always strive for that um and I, I guess I guess for me, uh, the big thing that happened for me was that I, I at the time wanted to try and round out my skills in mm. terms of what I was doing. But And so I, I I also, I think this happens a lot too. you meet certain people and they're able to help you and so forth. Influence
0: your direction. Yeah, and
1: I met three people, um, Matt LaHood, Jeff Lucas and John McGrath. At the time, all three of them worked at McGrath. Um, and they played a big part in terms of probably manoeuvring and, and, and slightly guiding me into a different direction. Um, Can I add
2: editorial comment
1: here? What? I, I, remember, <laughs> I remember when Thomas had to make this decision uh, whether he was going to
2: sort of stay auctioneering and doing what he was doing or, or go into that corporate path in the grass. And I remember we were in New Zealand yeah. and Thomas had the worst case of mouth ulcers ever because of the stress of this decision. Yeah. Do you remember that?
1: Well, yeah. Well, I am naturally am a worrier. I worry yeah. about things. I think that's actually... I've learned over the years that's an endearing um, characteristic, but at the time when you're sort of coming through big decisions and you haven't had to make a huge amount of big decisions in your life you're working with your best mate you know jason and, and myself and Justin also worked really well together and I was making the decision to move to McGrath, and I was so stressed out it was <laughs> it was crazy but 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 even but even then you know that was something where you know justin's um, ability to be able to help me, and, and and again, same thing, similar relationship to how to what you and I have, Sherry, where you can ask questions and get feedback that you do know is not going to be directed at someone's own self-interest, right? And so I made that decision, and it was I, it was tough at first. Mm-hmm. It was really, really tough at first. Because you
0: would have been quite young at, at this particular point, and going in and managing people who yeah. may have had some concept or preconceived notion due to your age, was yeah. that an issue?
1: Um, it was an issue for me was it? in my head, Okay. for sure. I used to always say things like, oh, I know I look young, but it would be something Justifying. that and it was actually John McGrath. I sat down having cafe with, uh, at a cafe with him in Surrey Hills. This would have been like 2011 or something like that. And he said to me, he said, I don't know what you're talking about. And I was, would have been 25 at the time. Maybe a bit old, I'm not sure, but he actually said to me, you talk, like you're here, why do you even need to mention that that you're young? Mm. Like it's like a thing. know that was a real lightener for me. So I, I don't think, I actually don't think it was an issue with with people. Um, I think that it was an issue with myself that I had to overcome.
0: Yeah, right. And so, Justin, why did you take the route that you chose to?
2: Um, well, I didn't want to sell my soul for a cushy <laughs> management salary. <laughs> um, no, I think. Um,
1: it was and cushy.
2: Yeah. <laughs> No, I, I shouldn't say that because it's not how I feel at all. But I think uh, I something about auctioneering had hit with me pretty early, that I just really, it was a real challenge for me. I wasn't um, a very good natural speaker when I first started, um, and there was a lot of skills that I, that I had to learn. And I, I think very much so, and, and Jason sort of tells the story a lot, um, that in this class of 16, I was probably... Fourteenth in terms of um, in terms of talent, but there was just something there that really drove me to keep going. And and the more that I did it, the more I loved it, and the more I loved it, the more I did it, and that kind of kept feeding on itself. And I think all the way along, I've always had different things that have motivated me um thomas is right at the start it was to we thought you know winning an REIQ award would change your life would be the huh. it didn't uh, <laughs> i thought winning two of them would change my life it didn't i thought winning the Ostros would change my life it didn't i thought winning multiple would change my life it didn't i thought opening a business would change my life it didn't so there's always stuff for me that's always kept me um engaged and interested um mm. but fundamentally when it when it comes down to it when you strip it all away i, I just love doing auctions mm. i did nine on saturday um, I sold eight out of nine, which is rare for Brisbane. Um, but end of days like so that, so it was sixty percent, you know, yeah. clearance rate, which is highly unusual. Crazy, really, yeah. the marketplace yeah. here is around thirty to forty percent if we're lucky. Definitely. And at the end of the day, a day like that, you go home and people say to you, "You must be tired." But you're actually not. You're actually really energized mm-hmm. by the day you, by the day you've had. So, for me, it's always just been a burning love of of auctions. Mm. Um, and I know that there's probably betterable, mature or sophisticated auction markets down
0: south. But I love southeast Queensland and I love auctions, so that's where home yeah, that's where home is where is. live. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. I think it's quite interesting, you know, talking about, you know, in this podcast series, we're going to be talking a lot about people's journeys, then obviously skill sets and so forth, and, and what agents can essentially do to level up. And quite often, you know, a lot of agents may feel like, oh, well, I'm never going to be able to reach this level. But everybody started somewhere. And I think it's so relatable hearing you talk about you know the fact that you were like number 14 out of 16 because now everyone will look at you and just go, oh my God, this is this is kind of the, the king. How do I get to this point? But you actually started like at the at the back and have moved forward through the front. Yeah.
2: And I've got two stories that actually reflect that. Um, the first one is in the first REIQ novice auctioneer of the year competition we both entered, um, went up, I was about sixth I think in the order, went up, thought I killed it, stepped off, spoke to Jason and I said, how'd I go? And he said, I've probably got you about fifth at the moment. So Little things like that is you, you you realize that how far back you start from. But we actually found one day. So Jason's a very good example. Jason Andrew. Hi, um, Jason,
0: if you're listening, by the way. He sure
2: He, is. he doesn't, <laughs> doesn't miss an episode. Um, he's a very talented auctioneer. And we came up and saw him right when he was at the peak of his powers. Mm. And we thought, gee, this guy just must have been born into auctioneering. And anyway, one day at his house, do you remember this? We found an old CD of his first training course with Dane Atherton, and he was hopeless, (laughs) like hopeless. (laughs) Terrible. Yeah, But it showed that with actual growth and hard work and improvement and the right coaching and helping, Mm. then improvement
0: is possible. Mm. And I think, you know, it's so interesting talking about this competition side, because as I mentioned before, like, I didn't understand as an agent that there was this whole, like, other kind of auctioneering kind of, you know, attitude behind cool. it. Yeah, it, and it really is. I mean, do you fi- do you believe that that has made a difference for you in your career in terms of winning all of these awards with agents wanting to enlist your business? Because really, they're buying into you. They're buying your service because they've done, you know, two weeks or four weeks or five weeks of, of hard work to actually you know, get the property listed and actually get to that auction day. They want to make sure they've got an auctioneer that's going to close it. Yeah. I mean, do you feel like that has been beneficial to building your profile and your business? Um, I think it's improved my skill set
2: competing in competitions. I always had this belief that when I, if I won a competition, my phone would be ringing off the hook um, and it didn't happen. What oh. has happened though, I think is added, it's added credibility. So when oh. I call people, they generally maybe have heard of me, uh, but probably more importantly is when an agent, when I go in to meet a vendor before an auction, probably nine times out of ten, the agent will say, or the vendor will say, "I've heard a lot about you. I've heard that you're the best, and you've won this." And pretty much whatever you say then becomes the plan because it's been edified. That's yeah. right. Whereas our first, you know, first couple of years, you're battling against mm. not only the fact that you're not called many auctions, you also look very young. Mm. Um, so it's definitely added credibility. And I think credibility—if the agent feels like the vendor has credibility in you, then it's going to be easy to book you next time.
0: Yeah. Look, I, I know every single year that you run an auction auction comp, and I guess. Again, from an agent's point of view, we don't necessarily see that this is this is necessarily important, but it is really important to training and to growth as auctioneers. Right? Can yep. you tell us a bit about around that. Yeah, well, I just think we've
2: got a we've all got a responsibility that if if we're able to help and develop other people as we've been helped or developed, then mm. we should do that. Um, and all the way coming up through my auctioneering, there's there's countless people that have poured time, um, you know, energy, effort, um, mental energy into into helping me. So that's my way of being able to put a platform in place so the next lot of people can come through and help, and and you know Thomas has come and been a judge for the last couple of years, and he's already committed this year, so he can't get oh. out of it again now that he's, <laughs> it's been verbalised. And
0: I think it was two years ago, right? You Which were, was yeah, just super yeah that's right. Yeah. Yep. Uh,
2: so you know, it doesn't. It's not just me, although I lay the platform for it. There's a mm. whole lot of people who put a lot of time and effort into it, um, and
0: but, that's just a way of helping other auctioneers. And do you think that this actually helps in the development, or, like? Because it's it's obviously a competitive sort of nature, but yep. do you feel like this really helps in the development of the skill set?
2: Definitely. And on two fronts, the first one is auctioneering is a very isolated game. So mm. you will rarely see another auctioneer, unless a little bit more now on Facebook, because people Facebook live a lot of auctions, but you very, very rarely see other auctioneers. Mm. So what happens is you exist in this bubble where you go and call an auction, yeah. you do the next one, you say the same stuff as you said at the previous one, someone comes up to you after and says that was a good auction, you go, how good am I? And that bubble just keeps yeah. going until you actually search people outside of your bubble who A, know what they're talking about, but B, put you through a situation that's stressful. And sometimes to actually put yourself in an environment where you're going to get told you're not the best auctioneer can be an incredibly confronting thing. Um, But that actually makes you grow as an auctioneer because if you just do the same stuff over and over again, people tell you they like your auction you're never going to change or improve mm. um, plus the opportunity to mix with other auctioneers and find what they do you know we always joke that there's no original lines you now you just see a line somewhere else and you take it and put your own <laughs> accent on it and then it becomes your line so it's it is sort of cultivating ideas as well you know it's like it's like our ARIC in a crazy way yeah um, or our conference it's it's all the auctioneers getting together sharing ideas swapping what works and then going back out and you know, uh, filtering out to their
0: own markets? Well, definitely, I, I noticed that there was a real culture around it, um, which was also quite interesting. But I think, um, you know, going back to being a being a judge, it was quite um, interesting to me because there was obviously strict criteria. But as an agent, those criteria aren't important to me when I'm booking someone. And so, you know, I, I just sort of noticed from going to um, Adelaide in 2017 and, and watching you compete and all the other auctioneers compete. It was really, I just noticed that there was a disconnect between agents and auctioneers. And there obviously is an opportunity to kind of bridge that gap. I mean, how do we do this?
2: If you can solve that, you'll you'll make my life a lot easier. <laughs> you know, we've we've got frustrations, and and I add this to, to Thomas a lot. We get we get frustrated that a lot of agents don't choose the best auctioneer. Agents choose who they're obliged to by their company or who wears mm. the right colour tie. Um, and there's just not a. I don't think agents generally really understand what goes into a great auctioneer. Um, yeah, you know, we, we have people all the time that they'll say, "Oh, I use this person." They'll say, "Oh, he's a great auctioneer," and you go, "Well, is he?" You know, yeah. like. Under what sort of criteria would you identify that person? But it's about relationships. You know, you guys would see it all the time that vendors will choose a certain agent because of the relationship they've got with the agent, mm. not because they're the best agent. Mm. You know, um, the agent can be the have all the awards, have all the sales, um, sold signs up, um, do the best marketing, mm. but they know it because the person around the corner met them and it's his cousin or something, so they're going to sell through them.
1: Yeah, I think it's an educational thing. I mean. A lot of people, and I think it's a really good thing, a lot of the competitions, which I'm heavily involved at the REI New South Wales and then at the Australasian level this year, but in regards to judging, but a lot of, we try now and get as much um, involvement from people on the ground, such as yourself at the Apollo Comp. I, I think that... And a lot of the time you will see the people who aren't really that educated auctioneering, mm. they will tend to score or evaluate someone on likability, And likability is 100% important, like so important. However, it's the things that the agent doesn't potentially see. It's just an educational piece yeah. because what competitions do is they actually put auctioneers and training events like what Justin mm. puts auctioneers in, a, in into an environment where they get tested on things that could potentially happen on a Saturday or at an in-room event or wherever you're doing your auctions, that unless that auctioneer actually knows how to handle that, that yeah. could actually cost the owner money. Mm. And there's been so many of these examples that you'll see, and it's starting to become more and more prevalent. And it has been prevalent in places like Melbourne and Sydney for a long time and also Auckland, but in other areas such as Brisbane, Adelaide, Perth, and then other parts of, of, of New Zealand as well, it hasn't been prevalent because buyers haven't had strategies. Mm. But what you're seeing now is more and more buyers have strategies to be able to try and take um, the auctioneer off course. And it is clear that if you can get under an auctioneer's skin, you will buy a property cheaper. Yeah,
0: which is really interesting. And I love this notion talking about, you know, a good auctioneer. Like, what do you think makes a good auctioneer? Like, what skills? Um, what do you look for? Oh,
1: I, I think that... I think it's all about strategic rhythm. Mm-hmm. So, an auctioneer that has very good rhythm, it's almost like a song. Mm-hmm. And the way the song works, and if you're listening to the radio and there's a great song or pop music and so forth that has a very good rhythm to it, and it gets you involved. The good auctioneer has that rhythm because it keeps buyers involved. I Are also. you
0: talking about the actual bids itself?
1: Everything. The yeah. rhythm, you'll, you'll hear it in regards to have you ever heard a public speaker and you go, I could just sit here and listen to them for ages. Mm-hmm. It's a rhythm in terms of how you speak. And you can take that into a listing presentation. Yeah. How you speak at a listing presentation is a rhythm. But then it's also, I think, about knowing when to push mm. and knowing when to hold back, yeah. and knowing those critical times. And that that's intuition sometimes. And you only get intuition by practice. Like Justin talked about it earlier, you know. They say that to master a particular technique or a a skill, you've got to give it 10,000 hours of practice. And that's why he's the master because he's practiced more than anyone I know. Mm. So I think that that's the stuff that some agents don't see and they will pick on likability. And yes, that is so important. But if the person's likable but they rock up on the day and they get caught in a situation that they just simply cannot handle. At an auction on a Saturday, we've been in this situation before, Sherry, you and I where something happens, whether or not a buyer's done something wrong, whether or not they've asked a question that's very, very tricky. If the auctioneer doesn't know how to handle that in that split second, it could be the difference between not just a good price and a bad price. Yeah. It can be the difference between selling Settling. and not selling.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I reckon the easiest thing to determine between an average auctioneer and a good auctioneer is a lack of repetition. Mm. I think What you'll see with um, average auctioneers or people that don't treat it as a career, they treat it as a hobby, is they'll say the same thing over and over again. They'll repeat the bid over and over again. There's just... Repetition comes into it, um, and I think the good auctioneers have an ability to call a unique auction every single time they call an auction because they rely on things that are happening in the crowd to, to bounce off. But um, that's actually what Thomas just said there is one of the best answers I think I've heard. Uh, was a strategic rhythm.
1: Strategic I rhythm. I love that.
2: That's good. <laughs> really good. Yeah. I'm going to
1: use
0: that. That's going to be my original now. <laughs> yeah. I've
1: copied plenty. Skin, I'll I'll copy plenty. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I think, you know, just going back to that first foray for me back in 2017 in, in Adelaide and, you know, it really was quite eye-opening, I have to be honest. And I remember at that particular time, and it was three years ago now, but, I, you know, there was a big gala event on one night and, you know, after you had been, been crowned and we, it was at the museum, you probably remember, yeah. and we were sort of doing a tour and I was talking to one of the judges and it was all men who were all judges. There were no female participants. And there was actually, in the school comp, there was actually a girl who won the school comp, remember? Mm -hmm. Um, But anyway, but I was just chatting to the the judge and I was just actually quite, I'd never, was really puzzled by it actually. And I just said to him, you know, why why are there no female auctioneers? And legitimately this judge had been, um, and no names, but had been, you know, there judging, I think, for around 20 years. And he literally said that women have a physical disability with being able to call auctions. And I just was like quite perplexed at this and I just really didn't understand it. I said, What whatever do you mean? And was trying to be super polite because I wanted the answer. And he told me that women weren't able to project their voices. I mean, what that was three years ago. I do feel like the industry is moving on to some extent. And and even in your comp, we're seeing women. That's in, just in like there. like
1: that's something that just <laughs> makes me yep. Yeah, like that's, that, that's just embarrassing for our profession. It,
0: it actually really is. But this this is somebody who's who's literally judging this competition. Mm-hmm. Um, what was great to see last year at the Australasians was the fact that, you know, there was a finalist in, in Jenna Dunley, which, hi, Jenna, if, if you're watching or listening to Doesn't this. Miss an episode, Jenna. <laughs> <laughs> you know, she's somebody who I am super passionate about. I know that she's starting to speak a lot more and get more auctions. She's done my 90-day mentoring program. But I just love the support that, you know, she had from the community. For her actually getting up on on stage, do you feel like there's, that there's more desire from the the industry, like from the auctioneering sort of chapter, for more judge, more female judges, and you know more females actually, you know yeah, competing.
2: I think so. There's been there has been female competitors in the past, um, but they haven't generally had a lot of success. Mm. Um, but now there's a female judge last year uh, out of the ACT, uh, Sandra Masters. Jenna made the final for the first time ever as a female. So I, I just think the um, or call cool what they are, they're archaic opinions, which are opinions like that. Um, hopefully that person isn't the judge this year and is listening to this podcast because that <laughs> might set my chances of winning up in flames. But I think they're, <laughs> they're archaic opinions. But I actually don't think, like, yes, definitely that's that's an auctioneering thing, but I think that's also a societal thing. Like how many opinions now that have held like that around lots of things are now changing because mm. they have to. Um, mm. And auctioneering will sure as heck fall in line with that. Yeah. The more females are out calling auctions, the better. The more diverse our auctioneering workforce is, the better. The more diverse our judging um, force is because the competitions then will be influenced by different people, the better. Um, and that's just the way that we've got to keep evolving. Yeah. Well, I just find
1: that so funny though, Sherry. Like <laughs> you, you, you go out into the field and there's at least just as many women bidding and buying property as there are Correct. men. Correct. You know. So... I think I think that, that is a problem across real estate, but it's not just real estate, it's 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 business in mm. general. But what you are seeing is you are seeing that change. And but and I know I've spoken about this at a at few of your events, is that it, it is up to it is up to people that are in leadership positions in certain sectors of our industry to stand up and give equal opportunity. To everyone, mm. not just not just women, but you know, young women, young men, all sorts of people, give equal opportunity to people to be able to have a go. Because I like Justin and I were talking about it earlier, like, unless I was very, very lucky. You know, when we when we decided to step out and become auctioneers from being sales agents, my my family own a business up on the Sunshine Coast and and, and Damien um, is a very, very good agent at Century 21 on Duport. And he didn't have to do this. He actually used Jason to call his auctions. But as soon as I stepped out, he gave me the opportunity to call his auctions. Have you go. Mm. If I didn't have that opportunity to get, as, as Justin said, a bit, of, a bit of repetition under my belt of calling auctions, I, I may not be sitting here in this, in this way that I am now in the time that it's taken me to get here. And I see so many female auctioneers that don't get that same opportunity. So, um, and I also think we've got to give people the space I think we're seeing more and more of this now, there used to be a lot of auctioneers that were exactly the same mm. and there's not one particular style that gets the best result at the end of the day. You can have a different type of style. Yeah. And I think that we've got to give the the, the, the new generation of auctioneers and sales agents coming through a chance and a bit of space. Yeah to be the best version of themselves that they can be, rather than to be what else someone else thinks they should be.
0: Hi there, it's me, it's Sherry Stora, and I'm interrupting this interview with a special shout out to my sponsor, List Ready. Now, if you haven't heard of these guys, you need to go and check them out, head to their website, list-ready.com.au, because they are going to change how you look at VPA in this marketplace. And in fact, these guys really are the leading VPA finance solution in Australia. Now, there are a number of common themes that are running right throughout this podcast series, and vendor-paid advertising is most certainly one of them. Now, this is not just because it helps grow an agent's business, but it's really about delivering those exceptional outcomes to our sellers in terms of price and also in terms of timelines. I must admit, I do understand that as an agent, it can often be challenging for an owner to actually find those additional funds to prepare and market their home correctly and by default this kind of becomes the agent's issue so i've always used you know vpa finance solutions but i never really found that overall encompassing kind of right option that is until i heard about list ready and now you know why i'm so excited about them i guess essentially what they do is they they look at all costs whether it be renovating landscaping marketing or staging a home right up to $25,000 It's really simple to use, and in fact, at the listing presentation, you grab your phone and you complete an online application form, which literally takes a minute to complete. And within a couple of minutes, once there's approval, the funds will go directly into your trust account. So, this is extremely powerful and important because there's no hidden cost, there's no hidden fees for real estate agents. It's really a service that's been bought out of necessity for agents to help their sellers achieve the best possible prices. And in fact, it is actually List ready's mission statement to actually provide and be the best value for vendors. So look, if you haven't already, go and check out their website, list-ready.com.au, or alternatively, give them a call on 1300 25 44 18. Well, I absolutely love the fact that we're talking about this because as an industry, we are really slow to embrace change. And, you know, I talk a lot about the fact that we're stuck in the (laughs) the 80s. But, you know, this is exactly what needs to happen. We need to pop our head up. We need to look at new technology. We need to look at different ways to embrace things, to move forward to get the best results for our clients. But I think, you know, let's now, you know, change sort of tact, I suppose. And let's talk about auction strategy. Like, what do you think are the best possible tips that you can give to run um, a successful auction campaign, Thomas, let's hit with you first.
1: Oh, my, again, same sort of thing we we're just talking about. I, I've had the I've had the real pleasure of getting around Australia and, and seeing so many different marketplaces. And then you know, through the help of Justin and me, sort of going on, on his coattails over into New Zealand with some of his contacts and seeing how they operate. The auction vehicle is a totally different vehicle for different people in different markets. Mm. It the way that An agent operating in Paddington in Sydney um, doing auctions might be completely different to the way that the auction vehicle is used to get the best result for the owner at Paddington in Brisbane. Completely different. Even in some markets, two of my best agents, Brad Gillespie, who works in Alexandria, which is a working class sort of market in Sydney, and then Ben Collier, who sells in Paddington, Willara and so forth, which... Is, is sort of maybe the luxury sector of real estate. Two fantastic agents. they run their auctions completely differently. So first thing I'd say is don't don't think that you've, you've, you' you can't do auctions in your area because you don't have five people wanting to buy the property. Mm-hmm. I would also say you're going to have to operate outside your comfort zone. Yep. and that is the best thing about auctions because as agents, You need a bit of self-accountability and auctions actually provide that because when you list a private treaty no one really knows what's going on week to week except for you and the owner whereas when you list an auction the whole community takes notice right so i think that you're going to have to be prepared to step outside the comfort zone but i mean justin like you see this a lot as well in terms of the markets you operate in is that a lot of people have a preconceived idea about what auctions are and they don't do them because they think that they need to run them like Sydney or Melbourne runs
2: it. Yeah, that's exactly right. People um, watch the block and that's their exposure and they think, well, I can't run auctions. And Tom's exactly right, can't have auctions because I'm not going to have five bidders for the property. But uh, Tom, and he's he's on fire with his answers today. He's um, a couple of crackers there. But I just think it's also an understanding around the reasons why you're taking that property to auction. Mm. Are you taking the property to auction because you believe there's going to be strong competition Or are you taking the property to auction because you need an unconditional contract? Or are you taking the property to auction because pricing in that marketplace is really difficult and you don't want to make a pricing mistake? Are you taking the property to auction because you don't want to sell it in a week and then have three weeks of trying to find your next listing, instead trying to leverage and and not only get the best price, but also get your next listing? So there's just so many different applications for it that, again, if we talk about archaic thoughts, that, that notion of... The reason why I take a property to auction is because I'm a buyer's falling over themselves and I want competition and sell it. Well, that's that's cool if you sell in Paddington or yeah. Lara, but how many markets are really genuinely like that every single time? Mm. Um, particularly here in South Queensland, not many at all. So I think it's an understanding and appreciation of why you take it to auction um, and then a skill set inside and understanding that, yep, it's going to hold me accountable. Yep, it's going to take me out of my comfort zone. Uh, but both of those things are good things for agents. Um, you know, you can suffer in silence or you can succeed in silence, but if you run an auction campaign, the benefits are going to be there for sure.
0: Yeah. And I think what's so interesting is that there is no one approach fits all in terms of campaign length or time or anything like that. So, you know, you might even be talking about in Sydney, you know, those two markets might be quite different, so they might fluctuate. You might choose to say, okay, we're going to run a three-week or we're going to run a two-week or we're going to run a four-week. Or in Queensland, like in, for me, with a lot of my prestige properties, when I take them to market, it's a, a four-week, you know, print campaign with an auction on the on the 5th. Um, so you've got to do what's going to work in for your particular marketplace. I don't, I don't disagree with what you're sort of saying, but I do think you know there is a, a case for creating you know FOMO you know with your buyers, right? Because this is what it's what it's all about. And I think that you know there's been different strategies you know in years gone by about you know starting off too low and keeping people in that probably shouldn't be a part of the, the campaign. But there are lots of things that you can do to kind of create this competition, this excitement. So what do you think that they that they are adjusting?
2: Um, I'm going to start by saying something else before I get to that. I think we meet buyers all the time that say they hate buying at auctions and you feel like saying to them, so you must love multiple offers then, Yeah. you know, get one chance, go in a dark room, sign your name here, have a guess at what the other person's going to offer if there is actually even another person and then sit in silence and wait for the answer to come. That's a terrible way to buy a property, you know, transparency is such a good thing i think we create fomo with buyers or or we create competition with buyers um, by engaging you you engage buyers and and you use in your advertising particularly motivation the great thing about auctions i think is that auctions have inbuilt motivation no one ever sees a property go to auction and say nah they're taking that to auction because the vendor wants too much Mm -hmm. never happens people assume because it's going to auction that there's a realistic and motivated seller which in 99 times out of 100 it is so use that to your advantage uh, when you talk about things uh, around the, the contract, if you if you're going to talk to the um, to the buyers, say, look, uh, we need a settlement date on this property the 28th of March. Therefore, the property is going to auction on the um, 29th of February because they need an unconditional contract that's going to settle on the 28th of March. Saying that alone says everything to buyers. Mm. It says my seller needs it sold. They need a cash unconditional contract, and there's a time deadline. So that's that's more powerful dialogue than you know. The old dollar which is try and bait them in low, and then get them there, and then yeah. the competition to, to level things
0: out. There's much better ways of, of doing things. So, what about you, Thomas? What do you suggest for creating that competition between buyers and creating that real emotional connection?
1: Well, I think the biggest thing we got to look at this day and age is that I don't know. When I first got into real estate in 2004, there you know was there was a significant difference between different businesses and how different agents operated. Mm-hmm. Now there's not so much. there has been know. a real level
0: up, hasn't they? professional? Leadership. Everyone
1: does great photos. Mm. Everyone is on realestate.com. Mm. Everyone is on domain.com. You know, everyone's got their own database. You know, there's agents now also, heat agents that could probably sell auctions just with their own buyer database. It's that good, right? So everyone's pretty similar when it comes to that. The real difference is the negotiation. That is is that that, is, that is what an owner is paying you for. And I think that the auction method is the best way to publicly portray your negotiation skills. So in terms of creating FOMO, that is the best way because you don't have a seller that's got a, a, a fixed price and you don't have a buyer coming in looking at that fixed price. So you've got a willing buyer potentially coming to the table and you've got a willing seller. At that particular stage, you're able to have a conversation without anything really feeling like anyone being like being painted into a corner. So that's how you create FOMO. Now, if, there's, if you're working in a marketplace where you've only got, you've only got one buyer coming in and they're, mm. they're the ones, they're in competition with the seller. Yeah. Just as much as they're in competition with, a, with another buyer, they're also equally in competition with a date. And I think that does help a lot. Um, and 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 I do believe that I do believe that a buyer will pay more when they're in competition. With good energy, and the best auction agents have a lot of good energy, you know, it's sort of like you create, create that, you're going to get the best possible yeah, price. So.
0: that sort of fear of loss. But I think it's, it's pretty common. A lot of agents feel really uncomfortable about auctions and they get so wound up in the actual auction itself. And, you know, um, I know even when I go to auctions and I see the agent looking so nervous whether they've got bidders or they or they don't. And I think, you know, an auction really is a showpiece. And, you know, you guys get that. You understand that. But I also think that the agents need to understand that this is the time when you're actually on show in front of a whole marketplace you know, smile, pretend like everything's great, even if you're not feeling that. But really, you know, one of the biggest things that I'll, I I tell agents is you have no reason to be nervous if you've done the work. The only reason why you should be nervous is if you haven't and you're feeling guilty as because you actually have not followed up every single lead. But, you know, it is very common for agents or a seller wanting to cancel a, an auction um, if they don't feel that there's any bidders. And I know, Thomas, I remember a particular... Time where we had a seller, I had a very difficult um, seller here in New Farm who um, just, we had issues around personality. I think the fact that I was a woman, do you know who I'm talking about in so. Sydney Street? Yeah. And we actually, he wanted to cancel the auction and we actually got in the car and we drove up to Noosa and we, we went and had a meeting with him to, to convince him to keep the auction on track because we just knew if he canceled the, the auction, it was going to send a message out to the marketplace that no one wanted to buy it. So we ended up taking it to auction up the next day. We drove up on a Friday afternoon. Do you remember? Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And I was just smashing out the calls on, <laughs> on the car on the way there. And um, and you wouldn't believe it. Somebody just turned up and registered to, to bid. Do you remember? Yeah. yeah. I was like, there you go. That's exactly why you should never cancel an auction. But, I mean, you must get this all the time where people want to cancel the auctions. What do you say to them?
2: Don't. <laughs> um, and it's a bit funny because, you know, we, as an auctioneer, you get rewarded, they cancel it because Mm. you you get paid and you don't have to turn up yeah you get a coffee break or a toilet break as your day as it may pan out but you're exactly right no one ever sees a cancelled auction and says Mm. well they must have too much interest on that one that's why they've (laughs) cancelled it it straight away hands all the power post auction across to the buyers to sit back and say well we know we're in a favorable position to buy the property because there's no other interest and you're exactly right if if you run the auction there's a chance you might sell it it may be the one in a hundred maybe the one in a thousand there's a chance you may sell it, but I tell you what: if you cancel the auction, I can guarantee you're not going to sell it. <laughs> and at the very worst, you're going to have a mega open home. Yeah. Auctions attract more people, so at the very least, you're going to be able to stimulate um, the listing heading forward. So, mm. yeah, it's a bit of a weird situation. That people ring you and they say, "Oh, I'm thinking about cancelling this one." Can you have a chat to. Them? And you sort of look at your diary and you're like, "Oh, that's right at lunchtime. Wouldn't mind <laughs> be able to just have a swan down for a iced latte somewhere." But you know that the right thing overrides everything and the right thing is to run it through. Is
0: to is to push through. Yeah. And
2: and look, if if they turn up and it doesn't sell, you know, agents can sometimes get really sort of negatively, you know, oh well, that's it. That's the end of the auction journey for me. But all the time they run private treaty open homes. Mm. No one comes through, they pack their flag up, and then at 10 o'clock next Saturday, they're doing exactly the same thing. Yeah, yet, that's right. you
1: know? The prevention's better than a cure too. I think that most owners that will want to withdraw or cancel in the week leading up to the auction they would have had that exact same opinion when you listed the property for auction. They Mm. would have been thinking and probably had discussions around, look, we'll just cancel if it comes up. So I do think that that's something where you do need to run through all the scenarios at your set-to-sell meeting or your pre-list meeting after you've signed the paperwork and run through the benefits Mm. of if we get to the last week of the campaign, we're looking light on the ground with genuine buyers who are saying they're going to be here bidding, this is why we still run yeah. And generally, what's hilarious is that people probably find this surprising, even though the auction clearance rate's nearly 85% in Sydney. I had an auction on the weekend that, that their seller wanted to cancel. Right. It was the best open home they ever had. We didn't have any registrations, but I was still able to present the property in a really positive way. And all of a sudden, you've got energy, and energy flows through into a post-auction negotiation. And and then you've got a seller who's saying, you know what, I'm so glad that you actually went through all the different scenarios and convinced me to run it. I, I, I do think a lot of agents, I, I loved what you said, Sherry, there because most of the agents are scared of what they don't know and they're judging what they don't understand. As either A, they don't understand the process, and if they don't understand the process, speak to your auctioneer and talk through that. But if you are worried because you haven't put in the work, well that yeah, you should have a bit of a kick up your backside <laughs> saying you haven't done the work.
0: And you should be losing the listing, you know. So
1: <laughs> if you get to if you get to the auction day and you've You've done the work, you'll never be sweating, mm. you, you know. So,
0: But I love what you say there because I think it's incredibly powerful about how you set up the auction to start with. And I, I think depending on the, on the marketplace, but realistically, even if you're in a boom marketplace, you should be saying this to your sellers where you should be saying, look, it doesn't matter when the property sells before, under the hammer or afterwards. And, you know, the auction itself is just actually the auction itself. It's an 11-minute process. But I think quite often we get caught up in that because we watch shows like The Block and so forth, which highlight you know, how exciting an auction can be, but it's not always the case. So I think if you do set it up in the correct way, then really that's the power of the seller feeling comfortable. Okay, we're coming up to the week beforehand. We don't actually have any interest at the level that we want or any interest at all. They actually understand it's not a cancellation. But on the day, you know, when you've only got one bidder or you've got no bidders, and I mean, how many times did we have to do this, mm. Thomas, where we would literally go there here in, in Brisbane, we go to a beautiful property, I've literally called the whole marketplace and everyone is coming, you know, all the neighbourhood, the whole building's coming and we've got no one. <laughs> I'm telling you, you've got to be there. <laughs> I mean, what, as an auctioneer, what really, you know, do you expect the agent to kind of do to keep up with that presence or what you're portraying to the marketplace in how to sell that property that, at that moment? Uh,
1: if, 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 if I'm doing an auction and there's one bidder on the property, I'd expect the agent to know everything about that buyer. I'd expect to know what they've offered on previous properties, if they've bid on other auctions, have they bid at an auction before, how long have they been looking in the market? Where are they at with their pre-approval on finance? What have they had for breakfast that morning? Everything. Because if you've got got a buyer that you've got really good information on, you then have the ability to use the truth as the best form of negotiation. Yeah. Because if if you actually just peel everything back and you look at the benefits for buyers and sellers with buying and selling buyer auction, if you get to that particular point where a buyer is the only person who's going to be there registered on the day, that is actually, the if I was going to buy real estate and I found myself in a position where I was the only registered bidder on the day, I would love that mm. because you get to negotiate exclusively with the owner without any competition. But you don't know what might happen afterwards, and that is the actual fact. We're seen it happen these, right? So what well, I'd expect my agents that I work with is to be, I don't want it to be like, I, I, Peter Kakos, who's my general manager in Victoria, he, used, he, he he actually I think he actually said this to us at a training session we did like in 2010 with him when he was doing stuff with um, Jason and us, but. He said, real estate's not like that, thank God you're here show that you see on (laughs) television where you'd get all dressed up and the actor would like knock on the door and they'd open the door and he wouldn't know what they're walking into and everyone would go, thank God you're here, and they'd have to try and manoeuvre for the situation. Mm. Real estate isn't that. Yeah. You literally, if you are educated and you ask the right questions, you've got the information, you can actually pull a deal together, whether or not you've got one bidder, whether or not you've got five bidders. So I'd expect all of my agents... And in fact, even if they've got one, two, three, four, five to know everything about that buyer, mm. especially in a one-bit negotiation, and always to act calmly, mm. you're never going to you get never going to get any deal across the line yeah. if 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 it's written all over your face that there's only one person on this, and oh my god, I need this deal, and oh my god, the seller's going to be absolutely just. On me, I need the commission on this one, and all that different sort of stuff. Mm.
0: It's, it's. I just find it really interesting that you sort of say this because realistically, Mm. agents leave a lot of the work up to the auctioneer right on the day. I, I don't know if you find this, but it's just what I have noticed it really is the agent's responsibility through the campaign to know what's happening with the buyer it's actually their responsibility to really set the reserve and to you know to help the seller in terms of educating them with what the market has said about their property things that they like things that they don't like but you know do you still are you still you know finding that agents are expecting this kind of good cop bad cop scenario to happen at auctions
2: uh, i think that highlights the gulf between good agents and average agents mm. um, the good agents see you as being the final couple of percent that it can come in and may make an impact based upon either the dialogue you have or the skill set or the lack of relationship. Um I think average agents or, or agents that maybe don't have as much confidence really expect you to kind of be everything. I had an auction a couple of weeks ago, uh an agent that turned up and was their first ever auction, I turned up at about a quarter two and they said, um, I've got your reserve form ready to go set the reserve with the sellers. So I thought, okay, well that's what needs to be done. So I went and had a chat to the sellers and spoke to them about it and it it was very evident they hadn't received a lot of information about price they were very optimistic which is most sellers but they were particularly particularly optimistic anyway so i came back out in about um sort of about five two about ten minute conversation and the uh the agent said to me so when do you start registering the bidders i said well i guess now so we registered a couple of bidders and i took them aside and said do you know anything about this buyer uh i know they came through a couple weeks ago you know and that that just highlights for me the pleasure we get in dealing with good agents when you walk in and they say i had one on the weekend and he said look i've had four building and pests um i reckon these three candidates are up in this bracket the seller's a little bit higher but i think with competition we're going to probably get close to their reserve price and then we've got another three registered bidders all are all likely to be at a lower bracket but i've already coached one enough to start us so at least we can get going you, you walk in there and you can have real impact because you're only just doing a little bit and that little bit is is valuable whereas if you need to do
0: everything it dilutes your value i think Mm. I think it's really hard for a lot of agents because they really just don't know what to say or what to do, and they do expect that that you know you're going to go in and basically kind of wave your magic wand. But how do you build trust with with a seller when you're really meeting them for the first time, like you know, and then basically you're in a high pressure situation, you're asking them to make big, important life, definitely changing decisions. So it is it is really tough. So you know what really can um, can you do to start? Let's say you were at an auction, and quite often when we're starting it off, there's crickets, right? No one wants to start bidding. Yeah. So, what would you engage that you would? What would you suggest that you would say to an agent that can communicate with their buyers to start the bidding?
2: So, the first thing is the conversation happens two days before; it doesn't happen on a Saturday morning, right. because Saturday morning's too late. They've arrived with their bidding strategy, and the problem that we fight, particularly here in Queensland, I'm sure it's not all that different in Sydney, unless they're savvy. Is every single person they speak to that week is giving them advice that the best way to buy at auction is to not bid. So you're, you've you got to be the counter argument to that. So try and get face to face with them 48 hours prior to the auction, have a conversation with them and say, look, um, have you given any thought to what your strategy might be when the auctioneer asks for an opening bid? They'll say, yep, we're gonna wait and see. You say, look, there's something you need to understand about waiting and seeing is a lot of other people are gonna have that strategy. If you do the same as them, it's gonna be very hard to beat them, what a better move is to get yourself out in front and put the pressure on those people. And ask them this question, what price would you love to buy the property for,
1: 500?
2: So what's the, the only risk that you run if you start bidding at 500 We buy it. Wouldn't that be good? Yeah. So let's try that. <laughs> and then if that doesn't work, we'll just try something different. But it's sometimes just having that conversation, but having it early enough that it's not Saturday morning when you're like, oh, we should get the starting bidder, run around and try and get some, some people who want to change their strategy they've spoken about during the week. Yeah. Do you have anything different to
1: that? Yeah, it all depends on which state you work in and, and what the, the vendor bid legislation is. I I really think that's a great way to be able to encourage a buyer. And, again, being transparent, as auctioneers and as agents, you should be talking with your owners prior to the auction. Again, 48 hours prior to the auction, I'd say, in relation to what your strategy is, you shouldn't be getting your reserve set signed on the day. It should be at least 48 hours prior. At that particular stage, you're going to talk about, okay, if we don't get a bid from the floor, where, where, where are we going to open the auction? And generally that's going to be at a level that is not the owner's reserve or just under their reserve, it's going to be at a level that, that is going to encourage people to bid. So how about when we ring the buyers in the lead up, just trying to see where they're at, we say, look, just to let you know, if we don't get a bid from the floor, the vendor bid's going to be this. Mm. And the buyer will, I think a lot of buyers get taken aback when agents are honest and transparent. And I do think at that particular
0: because their expectation is that you're not going to be right. expectation. Because going that's to be that what you're people going to hide. The expectation yeah. is of yeah. auctions,
1: is it's, it's all smoke and mirrors, yeah. right?
0: But also that's with agents too. And so right. at that
1: level, if 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 it is at a level that they would like to buy and most people would like to buy, which is what the, the vendor bid to open the auction generally is going to be, you'd say, Well, do you think that's good buying? Yeah, we think that's good buying. Well, the reality is we'd rather not place a vendor bid. To open the auction, we'd rather someone be in a genuine opportunity to be able to negotiate with the with the seller. Would you consider opening at that level? Because always seems to be this really awkward dance around the price yeah. of what that opening bid might just be. You're not telling you're saying that's not going to buy the property. That's right, it's opening. But it's <laughs> going to put you in a great position to be able to negotiate with with the sellers, and it's going to let you plant your flag in the ground and show that you're you've got strong authority in this negotiation. So. That's a great way to be able to, to to maneuver that. But again, it comes back to a lot of people. We, we're in an age where people love just dealing with sellers. They don't like working with buyers, but buyers are a, a crucial part of us making money. They <laughs> have to buy something for us to collect a commission. Yeah. And I think if a lot of agents focus on just really getting to know their buyers and building trust, like. I talk about building relationship equity with people, and that just takes a lot of time doing what you say you're going to do over and over and over again. And if you talk to a buyer four or five times in an auction campaign and you build that sort of trust, they will have an open conversation with Mm. you. Um, But if you're just laying it on a buyer, like as Justin said, on the morning of an auction, of course they're going to cross their arms and just say, hey, good luck, buddy. Yeah. Well, it's us versus
0: them. Instead of actually going for the main goal, which is actually – Help them secure the property
2: so one thing Jerry, just on that is i i think realistically you should be setting your reserve ideally 96 to 72 hours out mm-hmm. and then from the moment you set the reserve you almost say to the sellers look i won't be in contact with you as much the next couple of days because i'm going to be doing all my efforts on the buyers because this last 72 hours once the seller set the reserve you can't really influence what they're going to do the next influence piece is going to come on the day when you've got bidding but that last 72 hours is so critical for your buyers, mm. like so critical because that's when they're going to get a negative building and pest report. That's when their friend's cousin who did their real estate license back in 73 told them that you never buy at auction. You know, they're going to have all this negative. So spend we've, your heard, last, we've heard
1: from the neighbors that they want yeah, $100,000 yeah. <laughs> more than they actually want. Spend
2: your last 72 hours with your buyers and focused only on your buyers. Let the seller take care of themselves until auction day.
0: But I think this is this for me is incredibly powerful stuff because this is the stuff that agents get really nervous about. It's like, oh, there's there's no one there to bid. And you know, then we start to see this old-fashioned notion about giving away bottles of champagne and all those sorts of things to start it off. It shouldn't matter. You should be giving away a bottle of champagne for them actually purchasing the property. So I've always know. wondered on that. If we place an auctioneer's bid, do we have the
1: champagne? <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, You've I been missing love, out on these straight out of Angie account. would love more bottles of champagne. I <laughs> no uh, Sherry, on, on, on that, it's interesting just because that is a strategy that you see a lot. Yeah. Especially in Sydney, you see that a lot in terms you of people, see that give, in yeah, people wow. giving out the bottle of champagne. And again, this goes back to I'm all for people doing what they think is great for their market, and I'll never judge people on what their strategy is. But when right at the top of the podcast, I said the best auctioneers have strategic rhythm. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that opening bid, can, can click off a great strategic rhythm. Rather than clapping someone, the champagne's got to be walked over. That's time that kind of deflates a little bit of tension. That's an interesting point. And you need tension to create competitive energy. Yeah. As long as it's in that, that, that rhythm that we talked about. So just food for thought on that, I guess.
0: I like it. Sounds good. Yeah. So, I mean, you two are quite competitive. And are you competitive in amongst yourselves?
1: Um, not not I necessarily. I, mean? I think... I think um, you know, and i'll and I'll openly say it like um you know, when Justin won the Australasian in Alice Springs for the first time and it had been something that he'd worked, yeah. he'd worked so hard for to get to that particular point, and because I'd been there on that journey with him, and I felt that I'd you know been there and also had worked hard because it was something that you know that was one of the best times of 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 my career, I think watching him do that, you know, and um that was really, really cool, so. I guess that's been the best part of our relationship and I, I think that that's what a lot of people could possibly learn from. Like there's a great book out there, I forget who calls it, and it's called Ego is the Enemy. And I think if you learn to drop your ego and you learn to just help people, like it, it means a lot yeah. there. So, yes, although in the, in the early days when we were playing that tennis on PlayStation... <laughs> And I was Roger Federer and Rafael. At that particular point, Rafael Nadal hadn't won 19 majors, and I thought I was killing it as, Rafa, as um, Roger Federer. We definitely were competitive. I think so. Once we stayed up until like one o'clock it was in the morning,
0: yeah, go to bed.
1: So, yeah. It's like no, one more, one more, one more. No, we are pretty competitive. We obviously yeah. we we both we play a lot of sport. We used to play a lot of sport, and um, uh, we still love that sort of stuff. And I think that helps. But I think that. Competition can also be a really healthy thing if, if it's in a way where you don't have have the ego, mm. yeah.
0: But I remember that time too because obviously you were you know, we we're working together in 2016. Was it 2016 in Alice Springs? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and I just remember, like, you actually winning it. I remember seeing all the photos and I remember it was literally like you'd won it, Thomas. Yeah. You know, Justin, you'd won it. But, and but it, it, was,
2: and, it was. Yeah, it was. Like, yeah. And, it, and it said it sounds flippant to say, but it actually genuinely was. Yeah. Um, you know, Thomas had, has been a uh, power of help in not only just the day-to-day conversations, but particularly when you prepare for competitions, he's been a person that you run material past, you do run throughs with, throws questions at you, you, you ask which tie you should wear, you know. And actually, I missed it last year because Thomas was a judge last year we got uh, prohibited and we got told a number of times that we couldn't work together despite other people in other states working together, but that's a story for another day. But I missed it last year. You, you sort of feel like you're not... Kind of sounds a bit um, funny, but you're not complete because you've got this person who's always been there. And, and like I know, as soon as as soon as I won in Alice Springs, the first person who I wanted to come and drink out of the cup was Thomas because Thomas had been the most influential person in in, um, in assisting me to win it. So yeah, I think um, it would have been interesting if you stayed as an auctioneer how that that balance of competition would have balanced off um, our relationship. But I think I think it would have been fine. Like I I think it would have. Um, just worked around and had some fun with it and, and it would have been an extra layer.
0: Yeah, but I think, you know, as we talk about, you both are quite competitive and you've, you've done a lot of sports. I mean, you were actually a stand-of-origin player for rugby league. Many
2: years ago, <laughs> many, 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 years ago, yeah,
0: yeah. So it is about having that kind of team and having, you know, people in your corner, having coaches and having, you know, those support yeah. people because you are – not a lot of people may realise this, but you actually practise a lot, don't you? Yeah, well, I do.
2: Um, I think that sporting background has definitely um, – served both of us well thomas was a, a very renowned halfback um I, I whenever i want to laugh i'll ring up and ask him about his opinion on a halfback because according to him none of them are any good so um <laughs> as good, as good as he was. but i think um there's this little there's this little exercise where you add up a deck of cards this has always been something that i've had a lot of practice in so you get a deck of cards they add up to 340 if your aces are one uh and your face cards are 10 and you time yourself adding it up so when I first started, I was two and a half minutes, and now my fastest time is 21 seconds. Wow. So it's just that. Because that is of...
0: the other part, isn't it? It's the mathematics. It's numbers, yeah. yeah. But
2: it's all numbers. Like, And if you're confident with numbers, you can be relaxed and easygoing and, and things can flow easily. But I think for us, our careers in a lot of ways have kind of replaced sport a little bit. Like we were used to sport where there was a winner and a loser, and you weren't always the winner. Quite often you were the loser, and there were setbacks and there was injuries and there was not getting picked for sides. That's a very good breeding ground for your career because that happens. Like anyone who thinks their career is just going to start at this point and then just ascend without any knockbacks is is delusional. So I think that um, the way we operate in our career yeah. has really replaced sport.
1: Yeah. yeah I think ways. that it's like it's interesting. I I, I actually haven't seen and I've, I've worked with a lot of people. I haven't seen anyone train as hard as what Justin trains to be as good as what he can be. And I think that's really good. Representation. You need, you need an element of luck in everything you do to be able to get to where you want to go. I use the analogy in sport. The ball, the ball tips your way. You collect it, you score, you win a championship. The ball tips the other way. You can't control the way the ball tips and you lose a championship, right? And the thing is, though, you, you know the whole notion is you can create your own luck. So when you practice so much and when you put that effort into it, like Justin's done, you're kind of expanding the surface area of, of allowing luck to go your way, yeah. if that makes sense. And a lot of people don't look at it like that this day and age. They're looking for the one opportunity that's going to change it all mm-hmm. rather than putting themselves out there in that way. And plenty of setbacks. Like I remember Justin competed in a competition in, in Auckland and he came off the stage and, and and was just blowing up deluxe. And he came straight to me and I said, mate, hey, you're, you're stuffed up. And like he was, and I think that that particular point as well, you learn from that. I think that that's, you know, competition is is, is a good thing if you if you harness it in the right way. Yeah.
0: Well, I think it's it's quite interesting because we're talking here about the actual auction, but really for a lot of agents, the listing presentation is the competition. Like yeah. this is the championship, this is the yeah. go-to. Yet we don't practice. Our listing presentation at all most agents don't even have an elevator pitch so you know it's quite interesting to hear the two of you talk about practicing and getting this absolutely you know perfect um and, and i think that could be really applied to the listing presentation for agents Definitely. too.
2: i my mantra has always been and it doesn't matter whether it's a competition or a real auction that if i if i've done all i can in my preparation and i stand up and something goes out of my control and goes badly then that's just what happens but I'll never let someone else out-prepare me for that situation. And I think it's the same with agents. Like, agents should be practising things like objections and listing presentation dialogues because you don't want to do an objection for the first time when there's a $17,000 commission on the bottom.
0: Totally. You want
2: to do it in your sales meeting when you fumble your answer or you say the wrong thing and you stuff it up and it doesn't mean anything. Um, so we always say, and we say this to our auctioneers, but practice this stuff when the bullets aren't flying because when they are flying, the stakes are too high to be to be doing things mm-hmm. where you're not 100% sure. Yeah,
0: and it's not uncomfortable and it's not embarrassing. This is actually your job. It's your job. You're a professional it's at job. it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly um, right. You know, if we had to
2: go to uni for three years and practice listing presentations and dialogues and objections and law, you know, everyone would get right and be in a better place, but that's just um, how our occupation is constructed.
0: Yeah. So what's next for the two of you? Thomas, what's next for you?
1: I just want to keep making all the people that I work with get better. You know, that's how Justin and I talk about this all the time and I think it's important to realign your goals and so forth. I'm coming up to a stage in my life, similar journey to where Justin is with his life now in terms of, you know, trying to start a family probably and all those different sort of things. So that creates a totally different Not together.
2: <laughs> just to <so laughs> that's not together.
1: So, um, but, um, yeah. Oh, Look, my mantra has always been that whatever you do, do it with everything you've got and make sure that you leave somewhere better off than when, when you first got to it. And that generally in, in what I like to do now is seeing people grow and, and helping them, so I'll keep doing that. The agency is doing amazing things and, you know, oh, I just want to make sure that I'm, you know, delivering upon the things that we, we want to do. And yeah, I much Love more it. than that.
0: <laughs> Justin, what about you?
2: um yeah i think it's just uh continuing to strive to improve our business and what we do um but also you know and thomas mentioned it balance is a big thing now Um, it's balancing your time of of in your career but also ensuring that your family life is is a priority for you um you know and i I think the transition for me is going to be particularly when, when a family comes is having all day Saturday calling auctions all day Sunday calling auctions is not going to be a feasible thing so looking at the way of transitioning away from that will be a challenge um, because it's all I've known for a decade um, is doing that so I think that'll that'll be a nice challenge but there's there's plenty of stuff um, in front but I, I get I really enjoy working with agents and, and I'm I'm lucky that in the last decade we've built up some some great relationships with agents um, in Brisbane and, and on the Gold Coast so I think just continuing to cultivate those relationships and, and grow some more and um, it's funny you the year always sort of pans out what it has in what it has in planned for you so just dealing whatever comes along
0: the way yeah. look i have to tell you it is very strange not working Saturdays. so <laughs> when you've done it your whole life and then all of a sudden yeah. sort of not working quite as hard it, it is it is quite strange so look you know where can we find you both if if you know viewers and, and those that are tuning in have loved love listening to you today where they, where can they find you
1: I'm most prevalent on LinkedIn and Instagram. So um, just Thomas McLinn on LinkedIn. I think, if for those that aren't, LinkedIn's a place a lot agents should be operating. Uh, and on Instagram, it's just my name at Thomas McLinn, T H O M A S M C G L Y N
2: N. And? Um, if you want to catch my biannual posts on Instagram, you can go there, uh, at Justin Nickerson, J-U-S-T-I-N-N-I-C-K-E-S-O-N. Uh, but my Facebook's where most of my uh, my stuff happens, so uh, we do a lot of live auctions and things on like that. So just search me, Justin Nickerson. Haven't updated my profile pictures since about 2012, I think. Um, better head of hair then, so I'm just leaving it as it is. <laughs> but also,
0: two people can obviously follow the company. Yes, you know,
2: Apollo Auctions Australia or Apollo Auction New Zealand if you
0: happen to go from the other side of the ditch. Wonderful. And look, we'll save all of these in, in our show notes. So look, team, thank you so much for joining us today. So what a way to start our interviews and our podcast series. And I'm super excited about today. In fact, I'm loving that we saw behind the scenes of Justin and Thomas's friendship. And it's really interesting to see how two careers have gone on quite different paths. But there's been so much gold for us in terms of auctions and how we can really improve our strategies. So look, a big, massive thank you to Justin and Thomas for coming on board and being our first interview in the Build Your Best Life video podcast series. I'd also like to thank my sponsor, List Ready, who have totally made my podcast dreams come true. Now, for me, it was all about delivering exceptional and free content to real estate agents all around Australasia. And these guys were totally on board. So thank you, List Ready. Now let's talk about next week's episode and it's going to be all about building a celebrity profile and how you can dominate the marketplace and find the edge over your competition. So yes, I'm going to be talking about digital and how you can improve and build on your online profile, but I'm also going to be sharing about how you can make a physical impact with every interaction in quick and powerful ways. But well, look, in a fortnight, I have a superstar Australian cast, and drum roll, please, you may have seen them on our television screens on The Block, The Bachelor, and on Love Island. And now you're going to see them here on the Build Your Best Life podcast. So I'm talking to Jesse Rayburn from the agency in Melbourne, who with his partner Mel, competed and showed that agents do know a thing or two when they appeared on last year's season of The Block. I'm also talking to Nikki Gogan, who was the runner-up on Richie's season of The Bachelor, and works for Caporn Young in Perth, and Owen Murphy from Coloshi on the Gold Coast. He now has a legion of fans who are completely adoring, thanks to his all-around nice guy approach and his Adonis-like stature. So for me, I've noticed that there really is a growing trend of real estate agents that are appearing on reality TV shows. So I'm going to be dissecting whether or not it really is worthwhile going on these television shows in order to build your real estate business. So if you are keen to build your best life by harnessing your real estate career, by implementing proven sales systems and structures, by leveraging your listings and results, Building your celebrity profile and learning how to build your own team and EBU whilst working less and making more profit, then be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you're notified every Tuesday when the episodes go live. And remember, if you're wanting to take things to another level, that I do have my Build Your Best Life coaching program, and quarter two, the intake is now in effect. So it is my foundational platform and my program that I have been operating since 2012. And I've been working with my coaching clients since 2017. Not only does it come with webinars and it comes with a coaching forum, it also comes with a success manual, which is completely full of templates, calendars, and a daily journal. It's going to help you level up and it's delivered every single quarter. So for more information, go to sherrystorecom forward slash BYBL. And remember, I'm giving away a freebie as part of this podcast series. So if you want to know more about these templates, here's a great way to find out. Essentially, this freebie I'm giving is an Excel spreadsheet that's going to personalise and calculate and help you map out and target what you need to achieve over the next quarter. So once you've set your GCI, this will then personally work out how many properties you need to list how many properties you need to sell, and how many listing presentations that you need to do. It will personalise it to you and it will calculate it all for you. So if you want that information, if you want that freebie, head to sherrystorer.com forward slash level up and download it now. But of course, if you'd like access to any of the transcripts or any of the information from today, if you want to follow Justin and Thomas's journey, you can do that by going to sherrystorer.com forward slash the number two.